welcome to episode 60 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the November Night Sky episode. I'm Chris, and joining me as usual is Shane. Say good morning, Shane. Good day, <laughs> sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. So we're amateur astronomers. That means we do astronomy just for the fun of it. We're not professionals in any way whatsoever, though I, I do volunteer to teach uh, outreach courses, semester-length outreach courses at the local university, but uh, that's something I just volunteer to do out of my own uh, enjoyment. Uh, and this podcast, though, is the way that we share the fun of astronomy um, with other people out there uh, on the internet. It's really been amazing to, to see the, the uptake as we uh, slowly approach uh, 10,000 downloads. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm enjoying lately, I've been enjoying a lot of the questions that we've been receiving. So we had that mailbag episode a few weeks ago and, um, you know, probably have another one in probably a week or two, I'm guessing we'll see how the, the questions go, but, uh, it's been enjoyable too, that, that part of it. Yeah, it's neat to see. And, uh, we're trying to get those together because, um, there's, there's a few different people that have kind of asked the same question in a couple different ways. And so I know you've been really good, I, I think, at, at responding to people, Shane. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're going to try to get those together in, in a slightly different format. We've, we've got some ideas there that we're, that we're playing with and, uh, you know, going to see uh, where we go with that. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much dark now where we live by. I have 6 p.m. here, but then I noticed after I wrote this yesterday, it was like 5.30. It was darn dark by 5.30 p.m. Well, yeah, the, the sun sets right now at about 5.50, I think, you know, so yeah. we have twilight for 30 minutes and yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, I've lived here all my life and it still always surprises me um, on both shoulder seasons, spring and fall, how quickly we gain, you know, uh, evening light in the spring and then how quickly it disappears in the fall, which is all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, and the one thing that surprises me the most is um, how dark it can actually get here even before the sun sets because it's it's gets so low on the horizon there before setting. Like I was kind of surprised when you said it was like just before six or, or whatever it is um, because, yeah, you know, it was very cloudy yesterday and uh, even before the sun set, like the lights were coming on in my street. So yeah, yeah. I thought it set earlier than that. Um but by six, you know, really by, by, you know, the start of November, 6 PM, it's, it's going to be dark. Yeah. And, and this year we have the added surprise of uh, probably about an inch of snow on the ground this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've been getting snow the past week, um, which is always very surprising uh, to me because I come from a place that's a little bit warmer, not, not you know, a warm, warm place, but uh, growing up on the East Coast where I'm from, it would be maybe once every 10 years, you would get a snowfall like this in October. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, typically Christmas, it is like, it's a coin toss. It's actually, I think, more in favor of not having snow on the ground at Christmas. So yeah. where I grew yeah. up specifically, it was 50-50. And there's some years where, where I'm from that uh, you don't get snow. So you might get like five centimeters. You can also get uh, 500 centimeters. So it's highly, highly variable. Yeah. Normally we don't have snow here until, you know, probably November at the earliest. Um, 
but this is not completely out of the realm of possibilities. Um, I remember as a kid for Halloween, having to trudge through snowbanks, you know, to collect candy. Um, but it looks like the snow is also going to disappear. I think we're returning to some positive temperatures this coming week. So that'll be okay. Yep. Uh, the unfortunate part about all of this recent snow is it's meant a lot of cloudy nights. And I, you know, I know we're not really getting too much into our observing, but uh, I really, I was skunked. I didn't get out again. Yeah. Um, there was a couple mornings that were, that were clear. I got up, I got up one morning and then I was, um, I was having some asthma problems. So I didn't go out. I thought and it was very cold. It was minus 23 with the wind chill. Oof. I debate, I thought I just shouldn't go out. Like I'm, I'm having some, some breathing challenges. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to hang in tonight. And then the next night I didn't uh, get up. I, I decided I wouldn't set the alarm and get a, get a really good night's sleep for a change. And I got up and it was totally cloudy, just like today. And one of my students wrote me and said, that it had been clear and they got up and did some photos and sent them to me. So I've been super jealous. Actually, I should reply to them. They're probably wondering why I didn't reply. I was like, so, you know, kind of bummed that I, that I didn't actually get up and, and go. But, uh, but anyway, asthma is resolved now. And then by the time, uh, you know, later on in the week arrives, I think we're going to get some, some clear skies, but these nights, you know, it's really amazing here because, um, here in Saskatchewan, where it does really get proportionally darker and darker every night uh, at about the same rate that the sky is moving um, from east to west. So we've essentially had at, at you know, at, at dark fall or, or at the point where it actually gets, gets dark enough to really see the stars, we've had about the same view of the nighttime sky. It's really like someone just hits a big pause button, eh? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Um... I've never really considered that, but yeah, you're right. It, it's like somebody did press a pause button and we get to just continue to observe the same sky. Yeah. I mean, where I'm from, you know, you get a little bit of that, um, you know, being uh, seven or eight degrees further south. Um, but I really notice it here, you know, like it just, uh, we get the summer triangle and Hercules there. We've had Jupiter and Saturn uh, hanging on, on the Southern horizon at, at dusk. Um, but yeah, if you go out, there's not really much difference night to night. In fact, you, I don't think anybody would notice it. Um, the variance in sky quality would, uh, would trump any movement in, in the stars uh, from night to night. In fact, you know, I was looking for November 1st there, and I see that Sagittarius is just starting to touch the horizon now. And probably if you went back to October 1st, there wouldn't, you know, at, at darkness, uh, darkness mm -hmm. here being, being a, just after six o'clock on November 1st, darkness last month was at like 7.30 or something. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't be an appreciable difference if you were, if you were actually looking at the sky, not really that different. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. So speaking of differences, um, so November 1st is also a big date. Uh, it's called Daylight Savings Time. And, and now people are going to think that I'm being a jerk, but do you know what this is, Shane? Well, isn't it aligning the solar noon with like local noon time? Yeah, that's more or less uh, what it is. And, and for a lot of people out there, they're going to think that I'm kind of being a jerk and maybe Shane's just sort of playing, but they do not do the business of daylight savings time here in Saskatchewan. So as he said it earlier in the show, he, he grew up here um, and they don't do it here. And, uh, and they do it in the most of the rest of the world. And what happens is in the spring, they move the clocks ahead in the rest of the world. And in the autumn, you bring them back an hour. 
Now, here's the really weird part about this is that where, where I'm from and the other places I've lived, they do this and they say it's for the farmers. Which we have a lot of. I think <laughs> Saskatchewan has the highest, and I believe this is true. Um, I think it has the highest per capita of farmers like anywhere on the earth or something like that, because there's, there's not a lot of people in Saskatchewan and a lot of them are farmers. So it's pretty easy to, to hit that uh, proportional representation. Um, but let me tell you, <laughs> I really hate daylight savings time. Um, you know, growing up with it and, and all, like, it was just like, you know, it's getting darker. The, the weather is getting cooler. Um, you know, no matter where you are in the Northern hemisphere and, and now you're going to take an hour away from me, right? You're going to disrupt my sleep on top of that all. You thought it was dark last week and kind of crappy because it's sort of wet and windy and whatever. Where do you see what's happening tomorrow? You know? Mm-hmm. And they, well, and I, I hate setting ahead. the time on my microwave and, and uh, my oven and, you know, a few other clocks around the house. So I'm, I appreciate quite a bit that we don't have to adjust our clocks twice a year. And like, it's, and it's strange that the devices don't do this. Like you think it's, it's 2020. Sure. You know, in the year 2000, when, you know, maybe some people were just getting their first um, devices that had digital clocks set and, and maybe some very basic uh, computer chips. But now this should be, this should all be automatic, but it's not. Well, uh, maybe, yeah. you know, this is a little bit of trivia potentially too, for some of our listeners, like when you're installing say windows or whatever electronic thing where you have to pick a time zone, if you look for minus like six, uh, there's always a Saskatchewan option. And mm-hmm. that's because we don't do daylight savings time. So, so we end up with our own special treatment in a lot of these applications. Yeah. Or not. Like I think it's in my plan planetarium software it's not there and it gets confused but well I'm, I'm willing to live with that just not not to have to deal with it i just really don't like dealing with it um but then because sort of the world changes around us and i i like to think that the world kind of revolves around saskatchewan in a way maybe but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then i always have to kind of do the calculation when i'm calling all my family and friends uh elsewhere so yep. it, it works out better for me because i have more friends to the east than the west. So once we get into autumn, uh, anyway, it, it tends to work out a little bit better at this time of year. So uh, let's see. Now, now that we've dispensed with the whole daylight savings time um, business, and oh, and you may not know this either, Shane, but they actually went through a period of time for a while there. And I, I can't remember when it started and when it ended, but they were actually moving it by a week or so many days every, every year, every few years. So that just made it extra confusing for the daylight saving time <laughs> observers. So anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. Sometimes they talk about it here and I'm just like, don't do it. <laughs> don't. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works really, up. really well here not to have to bother with it. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So Wednesday, November 4th. So this is coming up. Uh, you know, now we're doing this towards the end of October. So this is going to be sort of a week or so from now, but November 4th, the moon and M35 are going to be together in the night sky. So if you find the moon that night, you're going to see just to uh, the upper right or just to the north uh, west, you're going to see a little cluster. Now, M35 is a, is a fairly bright cluster. This is up in Gemini. Yeah, and yeah. 
And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I think that will be visible though. I think it's far, it's a few degrees away. So people should be able to see it in binoculars. That's a beautiful cluster. I like looking at that one. And that, like, like you said, it's bright. Like that really jumps out at you yeah. when you're looking in that region. Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty good. Um, one thing I noticed, so, uh, so the moon, people can find the moon M35 is, is an open star cluster up in, uh, up in Gemini. And we've talked about open star clusters and what they are in, in past episodes. Um, but I did notice, uh, and we, we sort of base these loosely on the observers, uh, handbook by the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, which I'm a, I'm a contributing author. Um, but I noticed that, uh, they headed as the fifth. And I think what happened there is that uh, they were using um, the universal time. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And I noticed this, the odd time is sometimes, uh, speaking of daylight savings times, there is a, a bit of confusion over um, when it will be in the in the evening sky here. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll bring that up with the editor and say, hey, you know, got to kind of watch that a little bit more because I've been noticing it a little bit more and more since uh, we, we've had a new editor the past uh, couple of years. Um, because if you actually run it on universal time, it will say it's on that. I, I think that's just confusing for most people that are going to flip it open and say, well, what's up tonight? Where's my calculator to figure out if it's, you, you know, universal time or, or whatever. I kind of wish that they, they wouldn't rely as much, uh, as much on that. And I think it's just because it passes that closest point just after midnight on the, uh, you know, on the 5th, according to universal time. But anyway, the following night on November 5th, this is going to be Thursday, November 5th, there is the South Torrid meteor shower. Did you ever look at the South Torrids? Mm, not intentionally. Nope. Have no. you, have you made a point to check them out? I, I never have. And this year, I don't think it's going to be that great because uh, that moon's looking pretty full at night. So there are a couple of meteor showers. These happen every year. Um, but I think this year, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really going to be worth going out to, to take a look, but if people are, if people are out and happen to be out on the, on the 5th of November, uh, you want to look up and just to the right of the Pleiades star cluster M45, which is a really prominent star cluster. And, uh, and just to the right, or just to the, uh, west of the Pleiades is the radiant. And that's the point from which the meteors uh, are supposed to emanate. But I, I don't, or radiate, I, I don't think that uh, that this shower is uh, is gonna be that good because the moon is is simply too full. So. Well, and it's a, it's a low, it's a low count meteor shower. Um, at its peak, it's only about five meteors per hour. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's a meteor shower that's kind of almost easy to miss because five isn't a lot. The interesting thing, though, about the Torrids is it's an exceptionally long lasting meteor shower. Um, I think it peaks, like you said, on the 5th of November, but this actually started like towards the end of September and goes until the end of November. It's just like a really, really wide dust cloud in space that we're traveling through. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, not a lot of actual meteors to see. Um, not like the Perseids, for example, can like when it's uh, been at like, you know, fine display, uh, it can be over 200 meteors per hour. So five per hour is not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So November 8th, this is Sunday, November 8th. We have the last quarter moon. And this means that the moon rises at about midnight and it's going to be, it's going to appear as a half moon. 
So it's sort of one of those things where sometimes people can get a little bit confused because it, it appears as if the moon is half illuminated. We say that's that's a quarter moon. I mean, the moon is always half illuminated, right? Like no matter where, it just depends on our, our perspective of it. So the last lunar phase, the last quarter phase uh, repeats every, um, like as we see it uh, from Earth uh, every 29 and a half days. And we're going to talk more about the moon um, during the next uh, during the next episode. So I won't say much much more about that. But we have uh, Mercury coming along, and I'm pretty excited for this. I'm already getting set up for this one. Uh, Mercury emerges into the morning twilight uh, early this month, and then and then actually on November first, it starts to peak above the horizon. Uh, but it's at its best on or about the uh, the November tenth date. And uh, early morning risers will be uh, greeted to to Mercury at its greatest Western elongation. Uh, right. So in the morning. Oh, sorry, Chris. Yep. No, no, go ahead. Um, so are you going to use a telescope for Mercury? Yes. So you you don't necessarily need to. Um, you can see Mercury with the with the unaided eye, but when it's at its uh, at one of the uh, greatest elongation points, and, and this is a morning one, so it's Western. And even though it's in the eastern sky, you're going to be getting up uh, pretty early. Between five and six will be the best time for uh, for getting it in your in your sights. But uh, yeah, for sure, I'm gonna probably use my 60 millimeter mm -hmm. uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, Mercury is pretty bright, and it's it's small, but it's still a disc. And you can see the phases. Sometimes you can see. Some people have reported seeing some surface detail, but not until it's high up overhead. But with a small telescope the atmosphere and it's very low. So the atmosphere won't, uh, won't impact the view as much through a really, really small telescope. So I'm kind of, kind of hoping to get the little one, the little 60 millimeter out again and, uh, and do an observation of that, but it, but it only gets about 19 degrees away from, from the sun at its, mm -hmm. uh, at its most. Close. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Are you going to get out and take a peek at that? Probably not. No, Mercury doesn't excite me very much and uh, cold winter mornings excite me less. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I like observing Mercury. I think, um, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I think it was said that uh, Copernicus never was able to observe uh, Mercury either. It was, it was just something he wasn't after or it was not uh, well-placed or, or, or what exactly. But I think it's, I think it's a neat planet to observe. It's really orangey mostly because it's just uh, just so, so low on the horizon. Eventually mm -hmm. what I want to do is, you know, now that I have that tracking mount is to be able to, to get it and track it um, as it's going across the sky. Uh, that's sort of one of my, one of my hopes. Um, I need to get, I need to get things set up quite a bit. It's a little bit more complicated than I thought it was going to be to do that actually. But, uh, but that's, that's one of my hopes uh, to be able to observe it, like maybe during the middle of the day kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be neat. Yeah. So anyway, now November 12th, if you miss the South towards back on the fifth, <laughs> you can take a look for the North toward meteor shower, um, which is just a little bit uh, closer to the Pleiades. I mean, it's pretty much the radiant is, is almost at the Pleiades. Um, and that might be worth getting up for because the moon uh, on that morning is just going to be about three degrees away from Venus and Ooh. so you can get up at uh, at 5 uh, a.m. or 5.30 uh, 
and take a look at the moon and Venus, and then you can you can watch for some some meteors as well. So that that could be something worth uh, worth getting up for at least on, on the twelfth. You'd have a few few different things to look at there. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of neat. You you probably need uh, to get out of the city too for the meteors. Um, you don't need the darkest of skies, but you know the 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 urban light pollution would probably wash out some or maybe all of those meteors. So if you can get outside of uh, uh, the light pollution and get into some darker skies, you'll definitely increase your likelihood of seeing some of those meteors. Yeah, I mean, I guess like I live on the edge of the city, and even though there's tons and tons of light around, it's all just just super local. Um, so when, I, when we're out for walks, like in my neighborhood, it can still get pretty dark, like once you're sort of between the lights and we frequently see meteors, um, you know, often looking up and into astronomy. So that's the way it goes. And even from my street, when I'm out observing, um, like if a street light is out or something, um, nearby, I'll, I'll definitely get some, some meteors. So some of these can be, can be fairly bright, but yeah, for the most part, for most people in a city or, or a big town, you're going to want to want to get out uh get out somewhere dark if we get some some warmer nights could be could be worth going out to the fields maybe yeah for sure Got a shot and then on november 13th so this is the next morning uh early risers can take a peek at mercury and the moon in fact you're going to have venus the moon and mercury all visible at about uh six o'clock in the morning or just before it really starts getting uh, getting too bright. It's going to be a line of about 15 degrees. So fist at arm's length is 10 degrees on the night sky. And so this is going to be a nice uh, sort of long stretch of Venus, the moon, and Mercury. I think that'll look really pretty. Could be good for uh, for a photo. If somebody was yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that would make an, uh, like an excellent photo. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, on the 15th, so halfway through the month, it's really nice. We got the new moon right in the middle of November, almost right at the halfway point. Right on. So that's going to be the that's going to be the target for getting out to some dark skies. I'm hoping, like you were saying, it's going to wear off a little because, uh, you know, if if it is in the minus twenties, and and I know, like we're saying minus twenties here, we've been into the minus twenties with the wind chill. We've only been down to minus sixteen or seventeen, which which is cold enough. But I, I would still go out observing at that temperature. But uh, typically to our south, it's warmer where we go by a few degrees so that if it's minus 16 here, well, down there, it might only be minus 11. And that's not too bad. But uh, recently, it's been colder to our south for some strange reason. And some of those areas that we go into have even been down to minus 20, minus 23 without the wind chill. And so that uh, is probably getting a little bit cool for, for driving that far too. You're, you're only just getting out of the light pollution, you're not going to get any warmer by going down there these days. So um, let's see, Mars is also stationary on November 15th. And, and this is really exciting because it uh, gets out of the retrograde business oh, and yeah. gets back into prograde, under the prograde track. So then we're out of the bad luck or whatever it is that the astrologers say that we're into with, <laughs> with retrograde. I, I don't know. I don't know what they say, but uh, yeah. For those wondering, they can watch my interview on the local access cable, um, what retrograde actually is versus what astrologers think it is, which I, I have no idea what the astrologers think it is. So we don't, don't do any of that. Um, anyway, it's coming along nicely. And on Tuesday, November 17th, 
that's a big day or a big night because we have the Leonid meteor shower. But this year, low rates, five yeah, per, per hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty slow, unfortunately. Um, yeah, even at 15, you know, that's not a lot. Yeah, they can be bright though. They can produce, uh, uh, the Leonids can produce uh, fireballs. So if people want to see it, uh, they're going to have to get up uh, just before dawn, uh, like around that 5, 30, 6 o'clock time frame. You're going to have to get somewhere dark, or maybe you live somewhere dark, and then you're going to want to look towards the east and find the constellation Leo, which is noted by the bright star Regulus. And, uh, and it's, just, uh, it's just sort of in that general area of the sky. But um, the Leonids are so bright that, uh, that even from any kind of reasonably dark area, uh, they should put on a pretty good show. Have you seen the Leonids? Have you gotten into Yeah, yeah, those I have seen. Um, I can't remember when that was. Uh, but yeah, the what does stand out to me is is the brightness. Um, and and you'll see them all night. It just they peak, you know, early in the morning. Um, so if you get out uh, on the seventeenth, um, well, even like a week on either end, you're probably going to see some Leonids if you're looking that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they can they can produce some bright ones. I remember we had the the big Leonid meteor shower about uh, twenty odd years ago, maybe twenty one years ago. And then uh, on that night, I saw quite a few. And I remember I went out to one of my favorite spots, which is uh, along a highway. And uh, and typically I go out there, and there's like I don't know that I ever saw anybody else out there looking at the night sky. And then when I went out there, <laughs> there was like three hundred people. It was Whoa. really, it was really weird. It was really weird um, sort of to have that because it was sort of well publicized and, and whatever. And this is like, a, there's some spots in, in Nova Scotia where I'm from that are really amazing places to watch the sunrise. And it's places that, that people are tourists and that will go anyway. And they're sort of well known for that. And then, yeah, you had to like park like a mile down the road and walk over to the spot. It was, it was strange. So wow. anyway, and Leo yep. is one of my favorite constellations. Like, I think it's a, well, first of all, it's huge. Uh, there's a lot of interesting objects in Leo to observe through a telescope, but it's one of the constellations that when I look at it, I can easily envision the lion. It just, it looks like something, you know, to me, whereas yep. some constellations, I have a hard time visualizing what it's supposed yep. to represent in the sky. Um, so yeah, I love Leo. Yeah. Leo, Leo is, is nice as far as uh, picking out from the background stars and, um, yeah, we should, we should talk about that. It's a springtime constellation though. Um, why we're talking about it now is it's in the morning sky and this is when the, uh, the springtime constellations start, start poking above the horizon, uh, as dawn is approaching and, uh, yeah. And then it, gradually over the winter, they'll be getting closer and closer to midnight. And then by the time we roll into April, they'll be nice and high after dinner. Mm -hmm. So November 18th and 19th, just after sunset. Now these are going to be getting pretty low on the horizon, but they are visible from here. I, I made up some, some images that I'm, I'm sharing with you, Shane. And uh, my circle that I've drawn is 10 degrees because that's the fist at arm's length. And I use this in all of my charts for my class um, so that when I'm chatting with uh, my students, they, they know what, what the reference point is. Um, but running about 10 degrees, we have on the 18th, the moon, Jupiter, 
and Saturn sort of coming up from the southwest. Uh, and then on the following night, we have Jupiter, Saturn, and then the moon. Um, so they're, they're not going to be close enough to get in a traditional binocular, uh, but they will be close. Mm -hmm. they, they will sort of, it will appear, um, you know, very uh, photographic. Um, and, you know, this past week, I don't know if you get out, it was, it was actually on Thursday. I know that because that's when I teach in class. And um, we had uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon, and they were more of a triangle this time. So this is sort of a, a repeat. Uh, performance. And I went out and looked and then it was really neat because I went out and looked and then some of the students, uh, I guess they, they skipped off from my class and went out and took photos instead of attending the class or, or didn't attend all of the class and actually went out and looked at the sky because it was clear. And that was one of the few nights it was clear. Um, anyhow, and they sent me some photographs, which, uh, which I really, really love seeing. So it was kind of neat to, to go out and take a quick look and then come in and then as, as my guest presenter was, was finishing up, we had a look at some of those photos. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They were well positioned. And yeah. Uh, did you see it that night? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And uh, yeah, what you've got or, or what we'll see on the 18th and 19th of November will be beautiful too. So um, yeah. another good photographic opportunity. Yeah. Just, it will appear a, a little, just a little bit different. So Saturday, November 21st, we are the first quarter moon. Um, you know, so that's just when the, the moon is, is uh, waxing. So it's coming on to towards full. Um, and then on the 25th, the moon and Mars are going to be really close. Now, when I looked this up in the handbook, it said they were going to be three degrees. But I think, again, they're going by universal time. But at, at their closest here, they look more like they're going to be four or five degrees from North America. Mm. So maybe not quite, uh, maybe not quite three degrees. Yeah. So, you know, a telescope with a wide field eyepiece that has probably a shorter focal length, you, you could fit both of those in potentially in one yeah. field of view. Yeah. Yeah. They should look, they should look pretty good. So if, uh, if people are out there and they haven't been able to, to see Mars yet during the opposition, you know, it can be pretty neat just to ID it. Um, might be fun just, just to go out and take a peek. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then on the uh, 25th, as well. So we have the moon and Mars. Um, but I think it must be the 27th. Sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, it's going to be on November uh, 27th. We're going to have Uranus and the moon pretty close in the nighttime sky. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's if, if, if you've never seen uh, Uranus before, that's an optimum time to try to find it because you have an easy marker being the moon. <laughs> um, so you go up a little bit, uh, kind of up and to the right and, and there's Uranus. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Now I'm just going to share my screen with you for, for this part. I, for some reason I thought I was sharing it already, but, uh, we have some comments coming up, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a list in front of me. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sharing my screen, but uh, maybe, yeah, call it a comment and I'll just uh, bring it up here on, on the screen. We're using, I, I use, I don't know if you use this website. This is my favorite uh, comet website, not only for the beautiful plaid background and, <laughs> and violet and, uh, and sort of pastel green tones, um, but also because it has uh, the best information, I think, on, uh, on comets that, that are visible. It's called Yoshida's or Yoshida's. I'm probably saying that uh, totally wrong. Um, he's, I believe, a, a Japanese uh, astronomer, and he cre he creates this every month. So it used to be that you could go to the Harvard 
um, Center for Astronomical Telegrams and get all this type of information. Um, but that, that went away a number of years ago. And then uh, Yoshida has, has come up with, with his own uh, version of this, um, which I like quite a bit better because he, uh, he provides enough star chart uh, information. Um, and his website is aerith.net slash comet. Yeah, uh, that's a great resource. So what's your first, do you use the site? Uh, no, I've never seen that one actually. Okay. No. All right. Well, no, you I... give me a comment and I'll call it up on his, on his webpage and you'll see how great it is. Okay. Well, let's start off with the comet of the year, Comet Neowise. All right. Um, the, when was the last time you saw Neowise, Chris? Probably the third week of July is my guess. <laughs> Yeah, maybe around the beginning of August, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so even if we say the beginning of August, that's uh, just under three months ago, you know, and at that time it was probably not quite naked eye visibility anymore. Maybe it was, um, but now it's 16th magnitude or right around there, which is very, very faint. Like what kind yeah. of telescope would you need to see a 16th magnitude comet? Like how big do you think? Ooh, at least uh, I, I would, I mean, realistically, you're looking at probably in, you know, 18 inches anyway, I would imagine, yeah. you know, in a, yeah. in a really good 18 or really good eight or 10 inch, you'd be able to knock out 13th magnitude at a really dark site. So yeah, to go another three magnitudes, you'd be, yeah, you'd be up and to see it easily into the 20 inch telescope variety for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I bring that up is just to, to highlight, you know, the life of a comet that when they come close to earth, they can be so bright, but then fade so quickly as they travel away from the sun and to the nether reaches of the solar system. So yeah, uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, let's talk about comets that we can maybe have a chance of observing. Uh, so yeah. the first one here is uh, Comet 11P Temple Swift Linear. Do you have that on your list? 11P, I don't see it on his list. So tell me about it. Okay, so um, this is a, somewhat of a, a famous comet, but it was lost for pretty much a century, meaning like there were no observations of it. Um, however, it was rediscovered by the linear program in, uh, well, at the start of the millennium here, around 2001. Um, it, very dim and distant uh, object, um, but it had a close approach to Jupiter in 2018. Um, uh, there haven't been any visual observations of this comet in over a hundred years, mm. but uh, in, let's see here, mid-September passing 0.49 AU from Earth in early November. So um, I think we covered what an AU is um, during a previous episode. So that's uh, one astronomical unit is the distance uh, from Earth to the sun. So 0.49 is half that distance. Okay, I got um, it here now. Okay. Okay. Can you see that? So uh, let me switch over to your thing. So it looks like it's, uh, oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's coming through the square of Pegasus right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, I think I know why it wasn't right on the top page. It's because um, this is a visual observers sort of ongoing log of visible comets. And if there's been no visible observations in however many years, that they won't qualify for the page that I was on. Yeah. So yeah. It's got up so, there. 
So, yeah, that's great. Um, caveat here is nobody knows what to expect with this comet. Um, it may not become a bright comet at all. It may not be visually observable. Um, but who knows? It might be something that we can detect. But the fact that it was lost and no one's looked at this thing for a long time makes it interesting. Yeah, I mean, and I got the plot up here now for the magnitude graph. And uh, there's been some photographic magnitude estimates uh, the most recent ones put it between 17th and 18th magnitude, which, Ooh, which yeah. is pretty much beyond um, the reach of, of virtually all, all visual telescopes. Um, but if you notice this about the plot, it's already just about as bright as, as it's predicted to get in that, uh, in that November timeframe. And we still have about uh, just over a month to go. Um, mm. So yeah, but it, the, the range runs out at magnitude 14, Shane. So <laughs> ah, yeah, that's not I'm not to be very uh, holding out much, much hope um, that this one will become uh, visible. But it, if it does get to 14th magnitude, uh, somebody could see it in like a, like a pretty good uh, 15 or 16 inch instrument, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, what's next? Uh, Comet 7P Pons Winnicky. Let's see. Okay, you go for it. Okay, so um, the 2021 return is the most favorable one uh, than what we'll have seen in several decades. Um, oh yeah, no, this is, sorry, that's looking way out. Let me back up. We'll talk about that one in May. <laughs> okay, all right. I was gonna say that, yeah, why not? Uh, yeah, one. actually that's all I have for November. The rest, uh, there's one in December potentially, but um, that's all that I have on this list. So on his list, he's he's got a couple. Um, the one that really catches my attention is uh, is is a long period or, or a C type common C twenty twenty M three Atlas, and uh, he lists that one as getting uh, well. Uh, he lists that one as getting towards uh, you know eighth magnitude right now, and it's supposed oh, to get wow. about another magnitude brighter. Um, it's a little bit far south. Like right now, it's coming up through Lepus, mm -hmm. and then it's gonna cut right through Orion. And here's the neat part: is on the 18th of November, it's gonna be right by Lambda Orionis, which you don't need to know what that means or anything. You just go find Orion in the morning sky, and there's the head of Orion. This is the star uh, right at the peak, and there's actually three stars there. And if it gets to eighth magnitude, and you have a, a lot of people have like those uh, mass-produced 15 by 70 binoculars. Mm -hmm. if, if you put uh, Lambda Orionis or the head of Orion just in the left of those binoculars, you should stand a pretty good shot of seeing this comet if oh. it gets to seventh magnitude. So, and then he's got another one here, Comet 2020 S3 Erasmus. And... Uh, it actually is coming up in the morning sky and it's getting kind of low. So uh, right now it's up in sextons and then it's going to be cutting through crux uh, by the middle of the month. But he's saying that it could go as bright as six and a half. Wow. That's and a bright so, comet. Yeah, it is. So now for reference, none of these are going to be like comet Neowise was, mm -hmm. um, but if anybody out there has really been getting sort of the comet bug, and, and many of us do, I, I really, I observed lots of comets 
that were in these ranges when, when I was getting going, because, um, they're challenging to hunt down. They're not going to be in the same spot every night. So you have to use and, and develop some skills for, for using the charts. And then you can uh, locate them based on those. And then they're also variable. So sometimes they're going to be brighter than expected. Sometimes you won't be able to see them at all. So you really develop some pretty good amateur astronomy skills uh, by trying to trying to find these. So um, yeah, Shane, maybe you can uh, maybe you can post a link. I, I put the link in the show notes um, for this uh, you know this this web page of uh, Yoshida's. Uh, Comet homepage and uh, and it's great. Like I said, he's got graphs, he's got charts, he's got everything you want. Um, if you want more, you can certainly get some good astronomy planetarium software like Sky Safari, and then uh, and then load that up. But but typically, most of the ones that we talk about here are ones that we're hoping are going to get bright enough to see in a in a good pair of binoculars or a small telescope, um, and you should be able just to use his charts. So. Maybe even if you take your phone out and you use the link Shane's going to send out via Twitter, uh, you'll be able to uh, hunt down some of those comments. Yeah, for sure. I will tweet that out. And um, yeah, that's a great webpage. I like it a lot. Yeah. So that's sort of my uh, my spiel for what I've been able to dig up in the night sky this month. And I know you added some, some good notes and commentary in there as well. So I'm just wondering, do you have anything uh, you wish to, to add for the month? Anything on your watch list? No, not really. Um, the only thing I'll mention is that like where we live, it starts to get chilly as we've referenced many times. Um, what I find uh, particularly in November actually is, is my observing transitions more so from telescopic observing to more just naked eye stuff because I don't want to spend a lot of time outdoors. I was going to say binocular. In true Saskatchewan style, Shane's observing switches from telescopic to football. <laughs> oh, yeah that's part of it too <laughs> but um you know the the like this is when binoculars well binoculars are great to use all yeah, of the time yeah. but yeah. they really are handy when it's cold outside because you just grab them and go and um you know you can get some quick observing in you don't really have to wait for for the optics to cool and um often too like the you know, you'll focus your binoculars once and then you don't have to worry about any of the mechanics freezing up because like on a telescope, like the focuser, depending on the, like the grease that's in there yeah. can freeze to the point where they lock. Um, I've had zoom eyepieces uh, lock up where you can't use like the, like you can't zoom them anymore. They, they're just, they become a fixed focal length eyepiece. So um, yeah, I, I love the simplicity of the binoculars. And like I say, this time of the year is when I start doing that more of that kind of astronomy. Yeah. And look, I, you know, and, and I know we try to talk about things in this, in this, and that's great advice in this affordable way, but I gotta, I gotta say this, this show is not sponsored anything, but one of my favorite uh, things that I did splurge on and spend money on, I bought two of them since um, is the uh, feather touch focuser by starlight instruments. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if, if anybody out there is really living in very cold climates, I cannot recommend that focuser enough. Um, now I do have the standard Takahashi focuser on one of my instruments now, and, and I actually find that one is fine. Um, but the, the feather touch, uh, wow, it really, really works so well. I've used it down to minus 40, 40 degrees Celsius, no wind chill. And uh and it just works the same. It works the same at minus 40. I've headed out looking at the sun 
at uh, at close to plus 40. <laughs> um, and there's not a whole lot of moving mechanical items uh, that you get in this world that work um, really. And, and I notice virtually, I don't really notice much of a difference at all, I got to say, in that. Although I did notice the other day I was using it at minus 23. And I did just need to adjust the friction by just a hair. And now this is on the uh, the least expensive one that I have on, on the, I bought the top end one first years and years, 10 or 12 years ago. And I've never, ever had to adjust anything on that focuser in 10 or 12 years. No, more than that. It's probably closer to 15 years. Um, my newer one is, is a less costly one that's made out of lighter material. And I just need to just sometimes do just a bit of a scooch on that when I get a 40 degree temperature difference. So there is an endorsement for that product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they make excellent, excellent quality focusers. Um, yeah. it, it certainly is a case of cry once, but enjoy it for the rest of your life. Um, they are pricey, but you, you, you're, you won't, f I don't think anyway, you'll find a better focuser for visual astronomy. They're fantastic. No, I mean, there's some debate on that. You, you can certainly spend a lot, yeah. a lot more, but, the, but these are actually pretty, you know, they're, they're the top end of, I think, the affordable focusers, but uh, you can certainly spend multitudes more. Uh, but the other thing is um, that I really like about the way he's built his focusers, Wayne at Starlight, um, and listen to him. I didn't listen to him once, and I and I, I goofed up, and he had to retool something for me at my expense, which is fine. But um, the focusers that he makes, you can move them between telescopes because there's various adapters that you can get. And I've done this. So even though it might seem like you're spending um, a little bit more maybe on this focuser, if you're in these really cold or extreme climates like we are, you can actually take it across. So I had one on one telescope, um, had one on one Takahashi, I decided actually was gonna get a new Takahashi this year. And as some people may recall, I bought the 100 millimeter. One of the reasons why I bought that is that the focuser that I had on my other Takahashi would fit on this focuser without spending a single penny. It just uh, it just was about a five minute uh, process to take it over from one telescope to the next. So, you know that that was a pretty big plus for me. So anyway, I, I won't go on any more about focusers, but uh, but that can be sort of like the last focuser you ever buy. Really, it can be. So I think yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right all right, Shane. Anything else? <laughs> That's all, my friend. All right. Well. Great chatting to you and uh, how can people stay in touch with us and send us their questions. So we're getting some questions built up. We'll do another show soon, but how can they get in touch? Uh, people can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are at actual astronomy. You can DM us or uh, just post a question there. Uh, you can email us. We are actual at gmail.com. And then uh, through the various um, uh, podcast apps or YouTube channel, um, you can just leave feedback or comments there. Um, Maybe one quick note, we haven't been updating the YouTube channel uh, as frequently um, recently, and we're looking at potentially retooling that channel yeah. uh, to provide a little bit more of a visual component to it. You know, it kind of makes sense, you know, visual component and astronomy, but uh, more to go. come on that. So yeah, we're slowly um, working that through. We do this for fun. So we have to do it when we have the time and the uh, inclination. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. And thank you for everybody, or thank you to everybody who listens.